It's time for a moment of clarity with your hosts, Galen Dietering, Phil Stargell, and Ed Bondarenka. Faith, faith, faith politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your hosts, Gaylene, Phil, and Ed. Good afternoon. Hey, <laughs> folks, I'm so excited to be here with you. And I have with me my good friends, Phil and Ed. And, of course, the wonderful Wizard of Wham, Derek. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. everybody, for joining us. That's what, I'm changing your name from the Swiss Army Knife, Derek. I'm changing your name to the wonderful Wizard of Wham. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Hey, Pay man. no attention uh, to that man behind the double glass pane wall. <laughs> that's it. Perfect. So, uh, hey, uh, Derek, since I got you, uh, since I've got your attention here real quick, I just wonder, is there any curling news? Nothing to report on this week other than the curling leagues are trying to figure out how they're going to proceed to play their leagues next year. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, they're, I think, doesn't the sweeper stay six feet away from the, the thrower or whatever they call the person, the stoner? I don't know. What do they call that guy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a stoner, but uh, uh, anyway, you know, so the sweeper's like way out there in front. That's social distancing, right? Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> They should be able to do their thing. They just have to, like, stand further apart in the arena to yell at each other. <laughs> anyway, hey, this is a good time to uh, do a moment on sports. What's new? Good afternoon and welcome to this moment on sports. Tomorrow, June 14th, marks the 30th anniversary of the Detroit Pistons repeating as National Basketball Association champions they defeated the Portland Trailblazers in Game 5 of the 1990 NBA Finals, winning that series four games to one. And the legendary captain of the Detroit Pistons, Isaiah Thomas, was named the NBA Finals' most valuable player. He averaged 27.6 points, 7 assists, and 5.2 rebounds per game. He made 54.2% of his shots. 68.8% of his three-pointers, and 74.2% of his free throws. So let's quickly go through each of these five games and see how the Pistons got to winning and repeating as NBA champions. The Pistons took down the Trailblazers in Game 1 by a score of 105-99. to and you guessed it, Isaiah Thomas led the charge. The Pistons trailed by 10 points with seven minutes remaining in regulation, but Isaiah led the team back. He scored 33 points, made 13 out of 27 shots, five out of six free throws. He dished out six assists and grabbed seven rebounds. His legendary backcourt teammate, Joe Dumars, added 20 points, made six out of 15 shots, and eight out of nine free throws. But the Trailblazers, they evened the series at a game apiece, winning game two by a score of 106 to 105 in overtime. And remember when Bill Lambeer went off for the Pistons in this game. He scored 26 points. 19 of those came in the fourth quarter and overtime. 
He made 10 out of 18 shots, 6 out of 9 three-pointers, and that was an NBA Finals record for the most three-pointers made in a single game up to that point in NBA history, and he also grabbed 11 rebounds. The scene shifted to Portland and the Rose Garden. The Pistons regained control of this series, winning Game 3 by a score of 121-106, to and the legendary Joe Dumars, his father, passed away before this pivotal Game 3 of the series, and Joe D. certainly did not disappoint. He made his father proud. He scored 33 points, made 11 out of 22 shots, all nine of his free throws, and he dished out five assists. Thomas scored 21 points, made 6 out of 8 shots, 9 out of 11 free throws, dished out 8 assists, and grabbed 5 rebounds. And the Pistons won a nail-biter in Game 4 by a score of 112-109. to And you guessed it, who else? Isaiah Thomas led the charge for the Pistons, red, white, and blue, scoring 32 points, made 11 out of 20 shots, 4 out of 5 three-pointers, all 6 of his free throws. He dished out 5 assists and stole the ball 3 times. And Joe Dumars, his legendary teammate, added 26 points, made 9 out of 21 shots, and all 8 of his free throws. And the microwave, Vinny Johnson, added 20 points for the Pistons. He made 9 out of 12 shots. And Detroit wrapped up their second straight NBA title, winning Game 5 by a score of 92-90. to And the microwave, Vinny Johnson, made the championship-clinching jumper with seven-tenths of a second remaining in regulation. And it's only fitting that he made that shot with seven-tenths of a second remaining because if you are a James Bond fan, you know that 007 means license to kill. And that's obviously what Vinnie Johnson did to the Trailblazers' hopes of winning an NBA title, putting the nailing the dagger for and making the and letting the Pistons repeat as NBA champions. And yes, Portland did get off one last shot, but that certainly demoralized the Trailblazers as the Pistons repeated as the champions of the world. And for the game, Johnson scored 16 points, made six out of 11 shots. Thomas added 29 points, made 13 out of 20 shots, all three of his three-pointers. He dished out five assists and stole the ball twice in this game as the Pistons did not disappoint their fan base winning their second straight NBA title. And it certainly was an exciting series. And even though the Pistons ended up winning in five games, four of those five games were decided by six points or less. Certainly the Pistons had to earn this championship, and they came through with what got them through to win these two NBA titles, and that was tough, great team play and even tougher defense when it was needed. Certainly great times for Detroit Pistons fans. That's my moment on sports. Gaylene, go ahead and take it away. Hey, I got to ask you, so the microwave, so why did they call him the microwave? Do you know that? Because him heat. He could score in bunches. He, he scored in bunches. He could heat up and, and score a lot of points in a short period of time. That's, that's how he got his nickname. Okay, well, that's a, that's a great nickname because, I mean, I'm like, what? Did he like, did he like, like uh, instant popcorn or something? But, you know. <laughs> no. But no, obviously not. You know, I know they, they called the refrigerator the refrigerator because it was like being running into a refrigerator. But I wasn't sure about that microwave thing. 
Okay. Hey, uh, folks, our show today, thank you for that, Derek. I, I appreciate it. Um, our show today, I kind of want to avoid some politics. We've been being really political in the last few uh, last few shows. And there are some things on politics that we're going to have to talk about today. And one of those is that the recall language against wretched Hitler has been approved. And I've got to tell people because they're, they're out there and they don't understand this. Signing an online petition is not legal. You have to find a paper petition to sign a recall on Governor Whitler. Uh, Whitmer, Hitler, whatever, uh, you've got to, <laughs> wretched Hitler, you've got to sign, physically sign a piece of paper. Please do not be fooled into thinking you can do this online. You cannot. So seek them out. They only have 60 days in which to get over a million signatures to get her out of office. And I really want this to be successful. So that's my moment on politics. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about today's show. Um, I'm going to read you a Bible verse. This is Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because there's been a lot of attention being given in the media on... Oh my goodness, on this uh, George Floyd murder and everything else. And you just got to wonder, all of these people who are out rioting, where are their fathers? And this is what I want to talk about. Where are our fathers? And so, Derek, I'm hoping that you can play the first clip. This is a, this is a really interesting clip. Uh, this is um, Denzel talking about broken families. Can you play that for me? I think we've made any headway. And I think it's more important to make headway in our own house. By the time the system comes into play, the damage is done. They're not locking up seven-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was in Chicago a couple of three, four weeks ago, and we saw these little kids on bikes with masks on the side of their head like five or six of them, and the driver said, yeah, they're little yummies. I said, who? He said, little, little yummies. Look up, Google little yummy. Mm. Little yummy was an 11-year-old murderer. Wow. And you look at his picture, you'll see the headshot of him, and he's like this. And he got murdered at 11 by a 14-year-old. Wow. Who's doing life now, and a 16-year-old. That makes no sense. You, you blame the system? Where was his father? Yeah. It starts in the house. It starts in the home. And yeah, well, well, my father got locked up. Well, where was his father? Yeah. You know, that, 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 like I, I did talk about my three closest friends, and they did, you know, 15 to 25, one did 28, this and that. I was the only one of the three that had a father in my life, even though my parents were together. But I still had a father who was a gentle man and a good example, yeah. and they didn't. We can blame the system if we want, but they didn't lock any of us up at seven. Yeah. We were all doing enough to get locked up at 13. My parents sent me in another direction. They didn't have anybody to help them, and they kept doing what they was doing, and the system got them. So I, I don't, the, the system is rigged, but why, all the more reason not to help it. All right, so that was a clip from 2017. 
with Denzel Washington. And, you know, he says the system is rigged. And he's talking specifically against African-American men, but he's also saying that's all the more reason to not help the system. And I think that it's a really interesting point about fathers being present for their children. So I want to see what my teammates here have to say about this, if we've got any any opinions on the subject about being present and what happens when you're not present. I don't know, Phil, you were present with your children's lives? Yeah, um, yeah and... But is that a clip, was that a, uh, a from a movie? No, that's an interview. That is an interview he was doing, talking about a movie. But it that was an, in, <laughs> yeah, that was not scripted. That was, that was him actually talking about his own life. Wow. Because um, the reason why, I mean, you know, he, he went to U, UCLA and played, played basketball for, didn't he? Uh, for a minute, yeah, he did. He, yeah. he, he uh, in part of that interview, he was talking about how just talking about playing basketball, how his knees hurt, you know. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, so, yeah, well, he the, did that for a minute. Well, the, the thing about it is, is that what what you said about uh, uh, bring up a child at in, 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 in the uh, way that he should go, yeah. Uh, that has been proven to be true over and over and over again. As, uh, as, as, as we know, uh, there are such a thing as family values. And we have gotten away so far from it, of, of the traditional family values. And, uh, you know, the, the, house, the households are sadly uh, missing fathers. And, Absolutely, uh, but it, but you know it is a lot of success stories. Even though the father doesn't physically live in the house, if the people that are running the house, the mother, the grandmother, uh, they can raise successful children. Uh, yeah, it, it it would be easier with a father, but uh, but you got to play the cards that you're dealt. I agree with that. And you can't always choose That's right. who, you know, how the father behaves. Yeah. And it is really hard for a woman to raise babies, especially boys, without a father in the house. Yes. So, uh, hey, Ed, you got something. Go ahead. I think you can influence how the father behaves if you pay. And, and you know, this, I don't think this is just urban legend. If you pay the father or pay the mother, the welfare mother, and say there can be no man in the household for you to, re you know, to receive this money, then obviously the guy's got to go. He's got to go somewhere else. And then so he's not present for the children. And this is not a black thing. I remember uh, years ago when I was married the first time, a friend of mine asked me, why are you going to marry her? Because she had a child. Just, just live with her and collect the welfare money. You know, but you got to duck out when the welfare guy comes around. It's, you know, this isn't just a black-white issue. There's, it's a re you know, there's right. lots of white people who are collecting welfare. But the thing is, I see it happen in other in white households also. The fathers can't be in to co collect the money. Absolutely, I agree with you. The system is rigged 
against families. And so kind of what is our responsibility, both as individuals to choose how we interact in our own lives with our families and also as people who vote, as people who are citizens. You know, we're all riding the big blue marble together, right? I mean, and so how are we influencing things? So my good friends who are an African-American family who have chosen not to be in the city to keep their kids away from all the nonsense there, raising their children, learning how to farm, learning how to work. He is present. And the and when I first met these people, the first thing that that the father did one day, you know, I'd known him for like a week. They were they were we were becoming friends. And I saw him when his son came home from visiting, he said, son, where have you been? I've been missing you for two days. Come here and give me a hug. And that boy ran without fear into his father's arms. I knew everything I needed to know about these people in that moment, that these were the kind of people that I could trust and respect because he was raising his children with love, with discipline, and with with you know with affection and he was there and it wasn't candyland cuz these boys work you know and i want to see more of that in everyday households black white hispanic i don't care i want to see fathers present i want to read you another bible verse this is interesting this is psalm 103:13 And I'm going to translate a word here because this is, I'm reading it from the New King James and it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Now we think of pities, but the word in Hebrew actually means raises his children towards heaven. So let's read that more in context with the Hebrew. As a father raises his children towards heaven, so the Lord raises those children to heaven who fear him. Yeah, Ed, go ahead. Well, you're speaking of raising children. It reminded me of a a blog comment I was reading this morning a few hours ago, and I looked it up real quick. And while I'm kind of loath to just read stuff, unless it's Bible scripture on the air, I'll try and make it as as quick and brief and as interesting as I can. This guy writes, he says, "You, you remind me of my kid brother. The moment he got married, he developed a kind of seriousness of aim regarding his kids eventually for that it literally entailed to all extents and purposes the dedication of his life to his family. It was not just the choice of job and place stability over career advances, not just the soccer games, karate classes, band expenses, and crummy camping vacations in state parks, but also what I consider a baffling and somewhat embarrassing nascent religiosity, which included the saying of grace, even at extended family holiday meals. Jeez, talk about a fanatic. What's he turning into? However, with a newly minted (laughs) doctor, dentist, and pharmacist in his brood and two weddings in the fall, he and his wife have done all they could to set the kids on the straight path, and that is where they seem to be. He missed hunting season at our cabin, 18 years out of 20. All the stuff this guy gave for his family. Yeah. Phil. Yeah, okay. That's really interesting. Go ahead, Phil. Real quick, um, I uh, heard the other day on uh, 
uh, Larry Elder's show, he was saying that that there is no difference between the black family and the white family in terms of if the uh, father in the house is has a job, is working. Mm-hmm. The, the income uh, levels are about the same in black and white. And the and basically the success, maybe not in, you know, in the same field, but basically the same thing are, are universal. That if if a man is out working and uh, bringing home a, uh, a salary, those those that successful child a child raising goes up. But if a father is not in the house and has a job. It's still a very good high success rate. So this is a traditional val- values. Reading the Bible to the children, having the, the children know uh, how uh, the the religion can have an effect on their life if they see that, if they Absolutely. are able to see that. And, and so these are the kind of things that uh, tr- uh, uh, traditional values are being applied less and less instead of more and more because of, of the overall society is going against the traditional families. I would agree with you 100%. I think that, you know, when we have absentee fathers who are out there just you know, fallen into any hole that will receive them and breeding babies all over the place. They ain't taking care of any of them. They can say, oh yeah, I want to be a good father and show up and be Candyland. But who's doing the hard work? And the hard work is being done by the mothers who are at home with those babies. Yes. And I'll tell you the truth. And this really, this really kind of grinds my grinds my corn uh, is that when you have a man who is who says I love my child I love my child I love my child and yet treats the mother with disrespect and does not take care of her or the family. So in the second half, we're gonna open this up. I want some callers to call in if you've got anything to add. Our number is 734-822-1600. Let's jump in and talk about how we can support traditional family values, how we can support even broken homes. How can we help young men and women have good examples in their lives. What can we do as a society to assist? I think these are some really important things that we want to do. And I want to hit one more Bible verse before we go to break. And this is Proverbs 17:6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. I really feel like the father needs to be something that his children can be proud of. And how does that happen? And let's talk about all those things in the second half of the show. So let's see here. I got one more verse here since we got a second or two before we go to the break. I've got Isaiah 38, 19. The the living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The father shall make known your truth to his children. And I think that, you know, what you were just saying, Phil, about the, uh, about 
opening the Bible at home is really important. And we're going to go to break. We'll talk to you all in just a couple of minutes. Kayleen Dietering, Phil Stargell, and Ed Bondarenka on Wham. All right, folks, we are back. All right, I'm glad to have you all joining us and sticking on with for the ride. And you know, I wanna, I got, I just have to get this little, this little thing out there because you know, you hear about New Testament Christians, and oh, you're an Old Testament Christian. You can't, you know, blah blah blah. Well, guess what? The whole Bible is good. It is for for training and for reproof. And everything that I've read to you so far today is from the Old Testament. So I think that that is a that it is just as valid today as it was yesterday. Um, I might. I, it's all one Bible, all sixty six books. You know. Yep, it is all the Word of God. It is all the Word of God. God and God never changed His mind throughout the whole thing. He's. It's all talking about how we're supposed to live, and it all talks and it all points towards recognition of the Messiah and the whole thing from the Old Testament to the New. So, hey, um, I have a clip. Now, this is from Avery Brooks, who uh, played Captain Sisko on Deep Space Nine. And I always loved the Star Trek series because it was such a groundbreaking series in so many ways and all of them were really groundbreaking we had all sorts of really you know look think about a flip phone and then look back at the original star trek at what their their um communicator devices were they were flip phones man before there was ever a flip phone so uh anyway i want to play this clip uh i have a couple of them from avery brooks but i want to play this one first i've said this often I want to be a part of the equation of life-saving and life-giving. So it doesn't matter what, what form that takes. Hmm? It doesn't matter. Anything. If I can help somebody. You see what I mean? First responsibility, of course, is, you know, you know once I had children, you know, and then that's, that's what I have to do. Make it better for my children. And then, you know, exponentially, everybody's children, if, if that's possible. Certainly in, you know, the power of this thing in this box, you know, you have the potential to positively affect a lot of people. At the same time, you know, if you don't take that responsibility um, as seriously as other people do, you know, then it, then it's a colossal waste of time. All right. He's talking about there about using TV and media for good instead of for anger and for hatred. But I love that he said, you know, look, my children, I have to make the world a better place for my children. And that's got to be his first thought. Um, I want, can we now play the second clip from him? And this is talking about his role as Captain Sisko, who is the father, the widowed father, single father of a boy. So let's go ahead and play that. 
One of the things was that attracted me to it was to give, uh, to talk about this male, child, father, son thing, especially for, though not exclusively, people of color. You see, I mean, it is you know, it's a reality. You know, the single parenting it is a reality of the disproportionate, disproportionate number of of brown male children without father figures etc. So it was very important to me that that relationship, you know, remained strong, you know, in, 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 the, in the context of the seven years. All right. So uh, that's Avery Brooks and, you know, his kind of his personal dedication to giving the image of a loving father who is involved and present in his child's life and that that was important to him and important enough to him that he wanted to take that role on. So, you know, I gotta, I gotta share with our listeners that during our break, um, Phil is at home and his little grandson, his great grandson, who he's helping to raise and care for while parents are working, came into his home studio and was sitting on his lap. And he is the most beautiful little boy, Phil. I yeah. I love seeing him. I'm so glad. Maybe one of these days we'll get him to actually say hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He would love it. He um, he's uh, he's really uh, attentive to. Uh, whatever I do. So I have to really be careful what I say around him because <laughs> he picks it up, you know, so, a, but he is such a delight. He is, I mean, he just lights this house up. Now, how many grandkids do you have? We have a busload of grandchildren. We yeah, got about, how... about 18 grandchildren and, and about, uh, what is it? We just had two more in, in April of this year, uh, two more great great grandchildren. We've got uh, what is it? I think seven or eight great grandchildren. That's awesome, boy! Your quiver is full. Yes, <laughs> you've got it a is. lot of babies out yeah. there. Well, we had four uh, 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 girls, so yes. <laughs> so you had four yeah. girls, and then they're having kids, and you just had another great grandchild born. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yes. we, uh, uh, we had two in the month of, uh, April. Wow. Any on April nine? I'm sorry. What's, what's their, what's their day? What day were they born? Do you know off the top of your head? Oh uh, man, I tell you, uh, no, I, 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 only thing I did was just was so happy that they, uh, they were here <laughs> and, and, okay. and I just marvel at how much they look like they're, their, you know, their uh, their mothers, which is my granddaughters, it, it's, it's just amazing. Oh, that's awesome. That's so good. And I love it that you guys are always involved in your kids' lives, in your grandkids' lives as much as you can be. Your great-grandson comes and, and you guys help take care of him and are helping raise him. And that's the way a family is supposed to be. That's it. That, that's, it. that's how it's supposed to be. We're all supposed to support one another through the generations. Um, I just, I, I'm just amazed at how many people don't. 
and how many people are just absentee parents and who aren't involved. And, you know, you have the opposite of this, too. You have all these children who are being overscheduled, overbooked, overinvolved and can't think for themselves. And that's, you know, a whole other thing, a whole other thing. Hey, I know uh, I know we've got a caller on the line. And, Joe, I'm going to get to you in just a second. Derek is on the phone. And so we're going to get our caller through. But, hey, any callers who want to come in and call in and talk about this parenting subject. I would really enjoy hearing from you. The number is 734-822-1600. Please give us a call. Let's talk about parenting. Hey, Ed, what's up? While we're waiting, we got to remember that there wasn't this influence of the uh, war on poverty uh, in 1964, I think it was, was implemented. And so we've had this for quite a bit. And we went from uh, parents in the house, father in the house of seven missing it's 7%. Now we're up to 49%. So there is something to be said about, you know, the government subsidizing the lack of the father in the house. And then another oh, thing is, is that uh, we have done so much to encourage, um, in a sense, uh, Head Start and some other pro- programs that allow both parents to be away from the house. And if the kids happen to be home, there's this scramble of who's going to watch the kid, which the kid just gets shuffled all around because we've made it in such a way that one one parent can't stay home like many of us knew, you know, to, to nurture us. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I agree with that. Having two parents working, having careers. And I don't want to say, women, you it's your place to stay home. I don't want to say that. I'm saying somebody has to stay home and raise these kids. All right. Hey, Joe is on the phone and he wants to change the subject. Um, <laughs> he wants to talk about charity and distribution. So, uh, hey, let's go ahead. And Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. No, no, I don't want to change the subject. I want to talk about okay. the welfare system and the replacement of the father like you were but to pivot to the religious aspect of it. But before that, two other things you touched on. Old Testament, nowhere did Christ say, I am here in replacement of the scriptures. Christ came right. to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. Amen. Right? Yeah. That's right. right. Two, online signatures. People are confused now because there was a one-time exemption granted by a judge because of the lockdowns to help people getting on the August primary ballot as candidates because they couldn't get signatures. So one-time online signatures were were allowed in those particular cases only. No law otherwise was changed. So that may indeed be confusing some people or allow people to be misled. But as for the welfare state, yes, uh, redistribution is not charity. Jesus was not a socialist. Charity is the right method, not the welfare state. This, the Democrats' uh, faith is only in government, and their motto is separation from church to state, and that's where all this began. Because back when we had these things before the welfare state, kids were being ta- single mothers and kids were being taken care of by either the church or some other benevolent organization. And they also recognized it wasn't just about providing food or checks. There were mentoring programs, and it's yet another reason why the left always attacked 
like the Boy Scouts, the Cub Scouts. They didn't want any positive male role models in these kids' lives. They wanted Toxic the complete masculinity from anything positive and sole focus on the handouts and who and vote for us because we're giving you the handout. Yep, I agree with that. I mean, and they're talking about toxic masculinity and everything else. I'm sorry. Toxic masculinity is when a man is uh, has eaten beans and chili and, uh, <laughs> and you know, comes up here. That's some toxic masculinity right there. I hey, when girls have that problem, that it smells like roses. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> you married him. Good segue for the joke there, Kaylee. That was good. Yeah. So it was good to have yeah. a little humor thrown in here and there, too, because so much serious stuff going on. We can't uh, lose our sense of humor. Well, thank you all. I love you all. Take care. God bless. Yes, you do. Thanks, Joe. Hey, you know, so he brings up some really good points, which we touched on also. Um, First of all, you know, seriously, the destruction of the family and, and the welfare state. So, do we stop helping women with children? No, because babies got to eat. Do we, you know, so so do we re do we change our approach to assisting women? And I'll tell you, you remember uh, we've we've had on this show in the past. Uh, we've had Kara uh, from. Um, Kara Dollar, who uh, is the, anyway, she is Sela House. Sela House, and, and we just supported a diaper drive for Joe's charity as well, where what they're doing is they're helping women make the decision to keep their children. They're offering parenting classes so that people can learn how to support their children and one another. They're offering financial classes so that they can learn how to manage their money so that they can have life skills and learn how to manage their lives and be present, be good parents. And so there's organizations out there all the time. I I, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago that, um, that there was somebody, you know, some Facebook friend where I mentioned, hey, support, you know, abortion is wrong and the murdering of babies is wrong. And they're like, yeah, all you Christians, you want to say that, but you're never there to help out after the fact. And I pointed her to four different organizations in my area and said, want to bet? We are here to help. We are here to help these women get job training and here to help these men learn how to be men and fathers and involved and support their wives or their girlfriends or their baby mamas. Um, And so there's stuff that's out there. And as a person who cares about this passionately, you can say no abortion, no abortion, no abortion till you're blue in the face. You better be supporting the organizations that are supporting these people and teaching them how to live their lives and how to manage their lives so that their kids don't grow up and become yet another statistic. I mean, we're all involved with people's lives. And yes, I often see kids out there. And I got to tell you, you know, my my friend um, brought their nephew over for, he's he looks to be about 17, and they brought him over and let him stay with them for the last week to get him out of Detroit. 
and to keep him out of the riots and out of the demonstrations and out of trouble. And I think that that is a beautiful thing because, you know, sometimes you just have to remove them from the situation so that, you know, and show them this is what a family can do for you so that they have that example. My own nephew, who I absolutely love, lived with us for a couple of years. This is um, pastor's sister's son. And he did not have a positive male role model in his life. He's turned out to be pretty, pretty all right. You know, he, he went through some dark places when he was 16, 17, 18. And then he ended up with, with women who were not appropriate partners. And um, I'll tell you what, he said the reason he got off of, off of the partying gig, the reason he got his life together and got a job is because he knew we would be disappointed in him. And it was the fact that he didn't want to disappoint us, that we had to be the kind of parents that loved him enough that we would be disappointed in him. And he really, he changed his life because he didn't want to disappoint us. So, I mean, I think that that's important. I'm sure, Phil, that your kids don't want to disappoint you. They don't have to agree with you on everything. No, but you know, um the one thing that I've said uh, for the last oh, 20 years is that if somebody, uh, anybody could figure out a way to get around that terrible excuse that people like Mario Cuomo and, and so many uh, high profile Democrats that are said to be in the um, you know, have a, a penchant for religion. Mm-hmm. That when they say things like, uh, I'm not going to tell anybody how to deal with that abortion issue, that's between them and their God. If I could figure out a, a good answer to that, because I hear so many people that have lived um, a great life all of their life, but they continue to say that that's not their business, what a woman does between this issue. And man, that is a real, real hard thing to answer. I, I understand that. Go ahead, Ed. There's a guy, there's a guy I used to work with, and I was very friendly with him, and we had discussions all the time. And one day he started avoiding me, and I could see it. I'd walk into the shop, and he'd walk away where normally he'd walk up to me, locker room, same thing. After a couple of days, I pinned him down. I said, are you avoiding me? He says, yeah. I says, why? He says, well, you know, we've been talking lately about abortion. And he says, and and you make such a case against abortion that it gives me a headache. He says, because in my heart, I want, I know that you're right with my mind, but in my heart, I want the woman to still have the choice. In other words, it was something he felt he had to live with, but he knew he had this conflict going on between right and wrong in his head. And in or, instead of pursuing that and trying to resolve it, he just wanted to avoid it altogether. Yeah, I, I running away from an issue is not helping. Um, but I think we a, have another. Yeah, it is a very, very hard issue to deal with because uh, I'm I'm sure that anybody that has our beliefs on this issue 
Uh, you know, you, you got to get past that to get people to understand how important it is that that we have little guys like my little guy running around the, around the house. I, I tell all of my daughters, you know, bring them home. I'll take care of them. Amen. You know, and see, that's what a father does. Yeah. That's how you father. Hey, we got another caller on the phone, and I'm really looking forward to this because Pastor Rick is on the phone, and he is going to tell us exactly the words we can use. So go ahead. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very thank you, thank you very much. It's, uh, you guys are doing a wonderful job. Hey, listen, I was out campaigning, and I have, uh, have my phone on me, and I'm listening to it, and I uh, heard Phil's question. And... Um, if I understand, Phil, what you were saying is how can these politicians say, well, I'm personally against it, but it is not up to me to tell them how to believe. Uh, and that's between them and their God, correct? Right. Well, first of all, you, the question you have to ask is how can they personally be against it, and why, do they, why are they personally against it? The answer is if they feel at all that they're personally against it, that it has to be something wrong with it. And we call that murder, all right? Uh, mm -hmm. the, the whole idea that it's uh, up to them on whether or not, between them and their God, whether they take a life, well, where do you draw the line on that? Where do you draw the line? Well, it's up to them if they want to kill somebody. We shouldn't, we shouldn't hold them to accountability if they murder someone. That's between them and their God. Rick, so they murder why. somebody that I love, then I have a problem with it. Yeah. Rick, yeah. that's exactly the argument that I was using with the friend I was describing, exactly the argument. <laughs> and he felt it was murder, and yet he couldn't reconcile that with stopping somebody from committing murder. Yep. I uh, I actually had at the door today one, one lady who asked me, and even though I'm running for township office, uh, she asked me what my view of abortion was. And I said, it is murder. I said, point blank, it's murder. She says, well, you don't think that I have a right to do with it, what I want with my body? And I said, you absolutely do. I believe that anybody that was to touch you or bring you harm would be wrong, and you would have every right to protect yourself. You would have every right to file suit. You would have every right to go to the police if somebody tried to do you harm or tried to force you to do something with your body that you weren't allowing she says, well, then you're for abortion. I says, no, I'm also against anybody else touching or harming a child inside the womb. And she says, well, yeah. where did my freedom start then? I says, your freedom started on your opportunity to say no. It's Second interesting how, yeah. how abortion has become a litmus test for a township supervisor position. Yeah. You know, the second, yeah. Yeah. the second, the second, yeah. the woman says yes. And, and has, 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 has an intimate relationship with a person. When they create a new human being, that human being has human rights also. And if you feel that way, you cannot stand back and say, well, as long as that's between them and their God. Is that a human being in the womb? And the answer is medically, scientifically, ethically, morally, and I want you to notice I didn't say religiously. Scientifically, ethically, and morally is a human being and therefore needs to be offered human rights, not civil rights, not women's rights, but human rights. Constitution. And so for a politician to say, I personally find it's wrong, listen to everyone out there who takes that stand. They say they, they want to make abortion rare, right? Why? Why should it be safe and rare? 
Why? Because they know abortion is not safe. And the reason they want to make it rare is they know there's something intrinsically wrong with taking the life of another human being. But for the sake they, of politics... They don't even say... They don't even say rare anymore. They celebrate abortion. If you yes, look at what Whitmer right. was wearing on her hat, they don't want, I want rare. You, Ed, you make a very excellent point. I want you to take a look hey, at how we're out of time. the dialogue. Hey. Let me finish your thought and I'll be done. Um, I want you to <laughs> look how they changed the dialogue of abortion. When Roe versus Wade first passed, the question was, when does life begin? That is no longer a question. Then it was safe and rare. That's no longer a question. They're going further and further just to outright murder of a child. All right. You know what? On that thought, we have to end because our music is starting, but it was a really interesting conversation, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. been listening to a moment of clarity on wham talk 1600 with your hosts galene Dietering, phil stargill and ed bondarenka be sure to tune in again next week right here on wham radio